all stand tonight. You're happy to be in the house of the Lord this evening. And it's good just to take a moment in the middle of the week to calm our minds and our spirits and from the busyness of life and just let God deal with our hearts. And I don't know about you, but I'd like for the Lord to, to touch me tonight. Amen. I'd like to just spend some time in worship. Amen. Just to enter a mode of worship here. Let's sing the song together. Majesty, if you will. Majesty.
song together. I stand in awe of you. Lord, I've come to you. My heart be changed. Sorry, let's sing this one.
play that music uh, softly there. We're going to take our special needs to the Lord this evening. Amen. Have some special, special needs to make mention. Um, I have prayer requests here for Sister Kristen. If you remember her in prayer. Amen. If you would also remember uh, Brother Mitchell and the Buchanan family. We're not with this man. Bless them in their travels and all that they're activities are going through and bless pray for brother mitchell and uh, wedding coming up uh, if you'll remember sister jen irish and uh, sister becky uh, they are traveling and uh, keep them in your prayers if you remember sister uh, sister mary smith if you remember brother richard as well in prayer remember the drum family also in prayers and uh, also a special need here I have for Sister Sister Karen Buchanan. Um, I also have a special need I would like for the church to be praying about. Uh, my grandmother, Sister Betty Brown, um, she's undergoing some testing and uh, she's having some health issues, very serious. If you would all keep her in your prayers, we'd be grateful to you, amen. That's all the special needs I have at this time. Do you have unspoken prayer requests by the uplifted of hands? Brother Jason, Ashdown, if you'd come down or come up here, brother, and take these needs to the Lord for us. Man, we'll join our hearts together in prayer. Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, we humbly come before you this evening. Lord, the needs that have been read. Lord, the hands that have been raised, Father. You know the needs of each and every one here tonight, Lord, and we just ask that you come in a special way, each and every every one tonight, Lord. I know I have needs in my own life, Lord, that I would like you to meet. So, Father, I just pray tonight, just through the preaching of your word, Lord, you would speak to me, speak to those that are here tonight, Father. So I ask you to bless our pastor as he would preach and bring forth the word and the remainder of the song service. Lord, we just ask you to have your perfect will. We ask these things in your name, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Jason. You can have your seats. Man, uh, Sister Anna Pritchard has a special for us this evening, if she'd be making her way forward. Amen. Sorry about the uh, switcheroo on the song there. That happens to me sometimes. I'll have several songs in my mind and come out with the with the wrong one at the wrong time, but uh, I'm sure that keeps the tech team back there <laughs> busy trying to figure out where I'm going, but we just do the best we can, amen. God bless Sister Anna.
one thing I found that I really want you to know. If it matters to you, it matters to the master. He wants to share the burdens you bear. Whisper peace when your world gets shattered. If it's your greatest joy or your deepest pain, or you're really needing an answer. If it matters to is far too busy to care about your troubles and strife. He sees a sparrow that falls to the ground. He hears the tears that don't make a sound. If you only knew how precious you are in his sight. to share the burdens you bear whisper peace when I'm so thankful it matters to the master. Amen. Hallelujah. What a beautiful song. Thank you, Sister Anna. Brother Matt, Key of C, song coming to my heart right now is when I look into your holiness. Amen. Let's sing this together. When I look into your holiness, when I gaze into your love, that surround become shadows in the light of you and when I found the joy of reaching your heart and 
when my will becomes enthroned in your love when all things that surround become shadows in the light of you then I worship you all hearts and minds are ready for the word of God. Amen. That's the most important thing. Brother Tom, Brother Tom Ward, if you'd lead us in prayer. Amen. Be it unto me according to your word, QC. Be it unto me 
according to your word, according to your promises, I can stand secure, carve upon my heart the truth that sets me some of these announcements here out of the way uh, this evening. We appreciate all of you being here, and uh, may God bless you. We have a number of folks that are not here tonight, but uh, we, um, we appreciate you being here. Good to have the McNulty's here tonight. That's a, that's a real surprise. Good to have you with us. Um, we received word today that uh, Brother Andrew Boy Scout from uh, Alaska, he was here a month or two ago, on a Wednesday night, his daughter was just in a rollover uh, in Alaska in the village. And um, I don't know which daughter, and I don't know uh, what, what the update is, but it was apparently it was very serious, and they light-flighted her. Of course, everything has to be flown out of, out of the village, and so we've been asked to remember her in prayer. Also as well, Brother Reagan's daughter, Erica, uh, we've been asked to remember her in prayer as well uh, again. And uh, <clears throat> for the folks that are not here, uh, sister, brother and sister Clavel, Chris and Keisha, and sister Doris, uh, who are traveling, we certainly miss them when they're uh, when they're away. Um, I have uh, let's let's bring up our uh, PowerPoint here, if you don't mind, uh, just before we just before we get to the word. And I, I just wanted to mention that we are. Uh, 
finally going ahead, finally got our uh, ducks in a row here for Financial Peace, August 1st. It's going to be a nine-week uh, course, as you know. We're going to do it on Tuesday nights. I would recommend that if you've never done it, that you do it. Uh, we've made it extremely cheap. We've tried to make it as, as accessible as possible, and uh, it would be a blessing. I would like to uh, come just shy, just short of insisting that all of our young people go, if you're 16 and over. And if you're, uh, for couples, if they, if they want to come and bring their younger kids, it's certainly not a problem. There's no cost in doing that. Good for them to learn the language of financial stewardship. And uh, it's, it's an easy thing to uh, participate in as a family and a couple and for our older young people. Uh, it's really, really advantageous. And um, if, if you're interested at all, you can ask me any questions. Josh Godwin's going to be leading the course. And uh, we'll have, uh, Lucas has agreed to put a link on the website uh, so that we'll have, uh, you'll just be able to click and, and uh, be a part of that. And then you'll get a link and so forth. And we've made it, it, it's now very simple so that you can do that. But if you've never done it, it's a great thing to do. If you have done it, it's a great thing to do again. Uh, and for young people, it's a great, great thing for them uh, to do. Wanted to mention also, uh, this is the uh, Sunday, and I, I failed to mention it on Sunday. It's the 75th anniversary of uh, the birth of Israel as a nation from 1948 to nine, or 2023. And uh, there is uh, uh, just some interesting things that are taking place in Israel, but I just wanted to remark that because you'll see some, some different articles there. I'll, I was going to uh, link one for you, but uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get that out uh, probably in an update here. Let's stand to our feet this evening here, and um, let's sing that little chorus, Matt. We've been made more than conquerors, overcomers in this life. Let's bring these requests before the Lord tonight. We have a number of folks that are uh, not here and uh, wish to be remembered. Uh, the Hughes are here uh, tonight. I was talking to Sister Connie today, and um, they're still going through testing and uh, asked to be remembered. It's been a difficult trial for Brother Troy with his heart and so forth, so uh, if you don't mind remembering them, certainly uh, would be appreciated. We've been made more than conquerors, overcomers in this life. We've been made victorious through the blood. Sing it again now. Oh, we've been made more than conquerors, overcomers in this life. And we've been made victorious through the blood of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we bind all of these requests together tonight and bring them before your great throne of grace and mercy, Lord. Asking and praying, Lord, that you would be mindful of every need, Lord, whether it's a serious concern in our view, Lord, or whether it's uh, just a minor, minor request, Lord, maybe a question or a burden that somebody carries. Lord, you taught us to cast all of our cares upon you 
because you do care for us. We believe that today, Lord, and we just invite you now to just examine our hearts, Lord, as we present ourselves as living sacrifices tonight. And Lord, with a fervent desire in our hearts to hear the truth and to grow thereby, that Lord, we might become better stewards, we might become better sons and daughters of God, we might be more prepared for the hour that we live in and the hour we're coming to. Lord Jesus, have your way, we pray. Forgive us of anything that might hinder the moving of the Holy Spirit in this place tonight. And Lord Jesus, we know you don't need great things to do great things. But Lord, I'm looking for you tonight just to move in our midst and speak to our hearts, Lord. Visit us, I pray. We give you this time tonight in Jesus Christ's lovely name. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Let's take your Bible tonight. If you don't mind, let's go back to our, uh, our text here. And we're going to go back in the book of Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Say this after me. I love my Bible. I have my Bible. Verse 1, Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And may God add his blessing. You may be seated tonight. great to have the Whitlocks with us tonight on Wednesday night here. And every one of you, I know it's a, a long day on a Wednesday, and I appreciate you being here. I wanted to say this in the outset of the service tonight. We're moving into our summer schedule, summer feeling. And uh, I, I understand that, uh, you know, there's lots of travel, lots of things that take place in the summer that are not ordinary and uh, I, I understand that. And we love our vacations like everybody else. I would only ask and remind you that if you're going to be away, especially if you have a part in the service, like a musician or a tech person or something, that you make sure you let somebody know so that we can cover that spot, so that we're not left wondering, where is that person? So if you don't mind doing that, that would be really appreciated. Uh, and... Uh, it would be very helpful for us, and we, we, uh, we know we're heading into that season. Now, I wanted to jump right in here this morning, or this evening here, and uh, talk about this subject, and it's a subject that I have not ever spoken about, a, a topic that I have never, uh, never ever addressed. And we're under this uh, banner here, Seven Things That Adoption Should Teach Us, and uh, dealing with the subject of truth. And truth is something that sets us free. Truth is uh, something that is uh, a very powerful thing. And we had to be very careful what we do with the truth. The opposite of this is also true, that deceit will, will bind you, that lies will trap you. And so therefore, we, we want to uh, address both sides of this, this, this principle here. And uh, we want to talk a little bit about the power of a right answer the power of a right answer, and dealing with questions that we are asked. Now, um, there is a, there is a uh, good deal we can say about this whole subject of, of questions. 
and uh, we'll define three different types of questions in Scripture and uh, approach that tonight from this angle here. But uh, we need to have in our day that we're living in, we need to have and we need to exercise discernment about questions that are, uh, that are asked. Because sometimes questions are asked very simply just to gain information. But sometimes questions are asked for the wrong reason. And they can, they can really be weaponized by the enemy. And we had to be careful about questions and how we answer them. Whether the questions are presented on social media uh, or whether they're just in conversation or whether perhaps you're at another church or something else, we had to be very careful about questions. And uh, uh, there is a lot in Scripture that, uh, that covers this subject, especially when Paul is encouraging Titus and Timothy. And uh, it, it is an interesting thing because uh, this is uh, something that Satan is very, very good at. As a matter of fact, who can tell me uh, what, uh, and you're allowed to, to give an answer here, who can tell me what the first question in the Bible actually was? Does anybody know? The first question that was asked in the Bible. Adam, where art thou? That's the second that's the second question. That's a great question. And everyone always jumps to that one. The first question, David, the first question, you look like you had an answer on the tip of your tongue. The first question is the one we read in our text. Hath God said? That's the first question. After uh, Satan used that question against Eve, uh, and Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden, then God came and asked the question, Adam, where art thou? Now, <clears throat> questions are a powerful thing. There's a story, apparently a true story, of a man who hijacked a school bus in Tennessee a number of years ago. And uh, he... Uh, he, he commandeered this bus to a stop, got the driver to get out, and uh, had, a, had a weapon, had a gun with him, and jumped on the school bus and took off down the road. And his intent was to hijack this school bus. After about a half an hour, 45 minutes, uh, when the police found out about this, there was a big manhunt, and you know all the different uh, procedures went into place, and it was a big thing, helicopters, you know, the uh, SWAT team, and all the rest of it. Uh, this fellow finally pulled over on the side of the road in the country and got out of the bus and surrendered and gave the keys of the bus back to the officer and walked off and said, here, he said, here I am, just go ahead and arrest me and take me away. Well, when they, uh, they were surprised at that, no one was hurt, and all the kids got off the bus and everything was okay. And when they interviewed the guy who hijacked the bus afterwards, they said, uh, can you tell us what happened? Like, can you explain to us what happened? And he said, sure. He said, I couldn't take it. And he said, what do you mean? He said, well, the kids asked so many questions in that half hour that I had the bus. <laughs> he said that I almost went crazy. Are you a hijacker? Are you really a robber? Is that a gun? Do you have, is that a real gun? Does that shoot bullets? Have you ever shot that gun before? And are you going to kill somebody here? Is this, uh, is this for real or is somebody filming this? And uh, they asked him a million questions in about that 30, 45 minutes. And he said, I almost went insane. And he said, I figured in prison would be better than being on the bus with all these kids asking questions. Questions are a powerful thing. <clears throat> now let's work our, well, let's wade into this here tonight. I'm glad we have a blueprint, aren't you? I'm glad we have a guide, and I'm glad he gave us a guidebook, which is the blueprint, and we can never lose that blueprint. We always have to hold on to the blueprint, isn't that right? 
and make sure we use it to uh, navigate our way through. Now, in, again, in dealing with this subject of adoption, we're not talking about people who are supermen. We're not talking, we're not talking to uh, people who are prophets and sages and overly spiritual people. That's not who we're talking to. We're talking to, like David said, Mark the perfect man and behold the upright, uh, for the end of that man is peace. We're looking at, as the definition of that word perfect there means, in the middle, an ordinary, quiet sort of person, morally innocent, having integrity. And this is every man, all right? And this adoption teaching is about uh, taking every man into a man that's accepted by God. And we want to learn to do things the Father's way. We want to respond to situations the Father's way. We want to handle what God puts in our hand the Father's way. And we want at the end of the road for him to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's what we want to have him say. Now, Brother Branham said in once more in 1963, he said, Now you said a little while in the world, Babylon or Sodom won't see you, but ye shall see me. Ye shall see me, for I'll be with you all the way to the end of the world. And he said, It hasn't come to an end yet. You will see me. I'll be with you even in you. You'll see his life reproduced in the believers. That's not taught. That's not something that we uh, read in a book and we try to practice. That's not what that is. But rather, it is the actual life of Christ, like we talked about on Sunday. You take a seed, it brings forth of its own kind. And it cannot become something else. It is what it is. And that's what uh, Brother Branham says that God is looking for in the end is the harvest. And uh, he is a husbandman waiting for uh, the true harvest in the last days. And we know that uh, that life that grows inside of a person, I'm going quickly here because we've covered some of this, it is not in joining a church that counts, Brother Branham said. The life is not in the church. The life is in Christ. Say it with me. The life is in Christ. The life is not in the church. It's not joining this church because it's a better church than the other church you were in. It's not because this pastor is a better pastor than that one there. That's not where the life is. The life is not in the choir. The life is not in the youth group. The life is in Christ. The life is not in Brother Branham. It was. But the life is in Christ. Do you believe that? Token life. And we believe that, as Brother Branham goes down and says, man is made holy by the Spirit. It is the Spirit of holiness that raised Jesus from the dead that indwells us and makes us holy with His holiness. So therefore, His Spirit in us is going to cause us to live and walk in a way that's contrary to this world. As we walk, we have questions. As we walk, we have uh, choices to make. As we walk, uh, we want to make sure that we're doing every, everything. We're turning every corner when He wants us to turn it. And we're making every decision according to His will. And His will is His word. Do you believe that tonight? All right, so now therefore, as we walk through this world, and Brother Bram said we're supposed to represent him, we are what's called ambassadors, according to the Bible. We are, in 2 Corinthians 5.20, then we are ambassadors for Christ. Now, an ambassador, if I, you were an ambassador in another, uh, in another country, and I've talked to several ambassadors in my years, uh, trying to uh, you know, get visas for different people, or trying to get people uh, through the process quicker, or whatever else, uh, I've, I've talked to some pretty, uh, pretty important ambassadors and written to them letters and so forth. An ambassador is a person who you would approach assuming he has answers. You don't want to ask an ambassador and he said, man, I, I have no idea. I'm going to have to ask about that and I'll, I'll call the president and I'll ask him. 
And every question you ask him, he's got to go ask somebody else. He would not be a good representative of the country he's from, right? An ambassador should be someone who is very familiar with where the land that he's, uh, that he's coming from and the laws of that land and, uh, you know, the, uh, all the, all the ba- where the boundaries are. An ambassador is going to be someone who's knowledgeable. And the Bible says now that we are ambassadors for Christ. In other words, we are representatives of another kingdom. Do you believe that? And therefore, we should have answers as to how things are done in that kingdom. Someone may ask you, how do you get into the kingdom? How do I... How do I become a member of, of you know, this church that you're a part of? I, I remember I told you a story before long ago uh, that uh, I was in Dubai. And there was a fellow there who uh, heard me preach. And we had a little fellowship afterwards. And he came, sat next to me. And his name was actually, <laughs> you're not going to believe it, but his name in Dubai now, his name was Little John. And when he sat next to me, he said, man, he said, you know what? He said, this, this is, what you, what you did tonight, what you said tonight was fantastic. I was talking about serpent seed in the garden, actually. And he said, this was fantastic. He said, you know what, we can grow this. We can have a crowd, we can get a bigger hall, we can get musicians, uh, we can have book sales, we can uh, do, do all kinds of things to really promote this and make it bigger. This is, this is really exciting. And I said... Oh, yeah? Not interested. And he looked at me really quite funny, and he said, what do you mean you're not interested? Every Christian group wants to have a following and a crowd and everything else. I said, we're really not trying to gather a crowd. That's not why I'm here. Matter of fact, that's the last thing that's crossed my mind is is the reason to come here and not interested in a crowd at all. I said, we believe that we're preaching the gospel uh, and, and looking for that last elected seed, that last predestinated seed in the world. And I said, uh, it's, not, it's not found through entertainment. It's not found through, uh, you know, impressive music or loud music. It is not found through inspiring speakers and their ability to talk. I said, that's not how it's found. It's found by casting the gospel net. And Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and a stranger they won't follow. And I said, I really don't need to have any marketing tools at all, and I don't even need to have your ideas, and I didn't say that in that way, I wasn't being insulting to him, but I said, we don't need to have any of those tools at all in order to get a crowd. I said, under, under the inspiration of the scripture, all we need to do is preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. And I said, you watch the elect, they'll come every time. And they'll all come. They'll all come. Because God puts something in them to hear the voice of God and, and to respond to it. And uh, he looked at me and just kind of shook his head and walked away. And somebody told me later, he's a promoter. He's, an inter- he's, a, he's a, you know, a, a promoter of concerts and uh, Christian uh, things you know, in, in the country of Dubai. And I said, or, or United Arab Emirates. And uh, he, he, no wonder that's the way he was thinking. But I was trying to get across to him that uh, you know, we're ambassadors for a kingdom. But we're just looking for that elect seed. And God has a way to do that. And it's not through popularity. And it's not through entertainment at all. But remember now, an ambassador has got to be knowledgeable about the kingdom. And that's what the Bible also tells us. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you for a reason of the hope that, uh, that is in you with meekness and fear. 
So we are to know enough to be able to respond to somebody and give them a reason as to why we believe what we believe and why we go to the church we go to and why uh, we dress the way we dress and why uh, we don't wear, uh, you know, tattoos and uh, other things, you know, other, other uh, things that, that uh, most people uh, would practice today. And, and so therefore we should have that. We're ambassadors, but we're also people who understand the word enough to be able to give a reason. Now... <clears throat> In saying that, Brother Branham said in the message paradox, I'm not much, he said, to make a speech. I have no ability to do that. And I would just like to get men to get together sometimes. And that way, he said, especially those who have stuck their neck out to sponsor me uh, in one of these meetings. Now, this is 1964, and there's a certain amount of controversy in the air about Brother Branham because uh, he, he's, he's focusing on this teaching now that's a little bit outside the box, if you like. And so, therefore... Uh, it's not just healing and discernment now. It, it's, it's now focusing more on the word of the hour. And so, therefore, he's getting less invitations here, and he's responding to that, and he's saying these people have actually stuck their neck out, necks out to have me. And uh, he said, I'd like to give the reason for the hope that I'm contending for. So here's Brother Branham doing exactly what the Bible just said. That he said, I want to explain to you. I want want to uh, be able to show you and share with you what it is that uh, God has sent me to do. And I want to share with you how I look at uh, the things that God has has revealed to me. And let you, brethren, see that it's not superstitions. And it's not just my theory. uh, And it's not just, uh, you know, some well-conceived plan or, uh, you know, a fable at all. But this actually is the gospel. And uh, if it is the gospel, then we'll let God vindicate that. And uh, this is what he's, what he's actually doing. So uh, this is exactly the, the same thing that uh, Peter writes to us back uh, in the book of First Peter. Now, <clears throat> knowledge is, a, uh, is an important thing. And in order for us to be a good ambassador, and in order for us to give a reason for the hope that lies within us, we're going to have to find out what it is that we need to know as ambassadors. We've got to find the info. We've got to learn what it is that God's word says. Part of that you get just from reading your Bible. Solomon goes a little bit further and he says, Yea, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then thou shalt understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. He says that's a good thing for you to do is to find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom, out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding, and he layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He's a buckler to them that walk uprightly. A lot of the ways that we learn and a lot of the ways that we find things out is to ask questions. The Bible is full of really great questions. And I don't want to give you any impression at the outset here that asking questions is the wrong thing. As a matter of fact, For most of us, that's the way we learn. Let me give you a couple of really great classic questions here. This is when God makes promise to Abraham and says, look up in the sky and look at all the stars there. And he says, this is going to be your family tree. This is going to be your your heritage here. And he says, Lord God, what what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? He's not asking this with a bad motive here. He's just saying, how in the world... Is this possible? 
Because you know I can't ha- I, I'm too old to have children and Sarah's uh, not able ever to have children. How can this be possible at all? And that's a great question because God then begins to explain to Abraham. And we looking back at the uh, story at the beginning of Abraham, we see the progression and see how uh, you know, his sons became 12 tribes. And of course, uh, they're still with us today, right? Great question. And that question spans the entire uh, whole distance of the Bible from Genesis all the way to the very end. Here's another good question. A lot of people ask questions like this when they go through some terrible difficulty or tragedy. And, uh, you know, you may think, well, Brother Andrew Boy Scout's daughter, you know, she's in a terrible accident that could probably change her life forever. And you think, why does a good God, a God of love, I often hear it, I often hear it many times, why does God allow suffering? Why should I serve a God when there is uh, childhood cancer in the world? Why should we serve a God who allows tornadoes to exist and rip through towns and destroy people's lives and villages and, and cities and, and so forth? And this is not a bad question. Very often this is a good question. And sometimes we're in predicaments where we don't have an answer. And there are things that happen to all of us uh, that you will probably never have an answer for. And it's in times like that you're going to need to have your faith hold you when your understanding doesn't. Because there are things that are going to happen to you that you won't have an answer for. And there are things that are going to happen that I'm not going to have an answer for you. And it'll probably be only eternity when you step into that uh, great place where you'll begin to figure out what it is that God was actually doing in your life. And so therefore, this in a sense is not a bad question. We find another one in Mark chapter 10. This is a rich young ruler. He asked the right person the right question and got the right answer. Isn't that right? Good master, what shall I do that I inherit eternal life? And that is not a bad question at all. That's a question that everybody should ask. And if you're not sure you have eternal life, if you're not sure you're settled, if you died tomorrow and where you would go, you need to be asking this question. And you need to be asking it to someone who can give you a right answer. Right? This is not a bad question. We find, though, in Luke chapter 10, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? His motive for asking that question in in the book of Luke uh, is not the rich young ruler. It's a different person altogether. And uh, it it is uh, certainly uh, asked with a different motive. If you don't mind, take your Bible. Let's go to Luke chapter 10. And let's just take a look at it real quickly here. Luke chapter 10 and verse 25. Now this is interesting because this is just after Jesus says, to his disciples, after the 70 leave him, he turns to his own disciples and he says, will thou also go? Just about everybody's left. And Jesus asks his disciples, are you going to go too? And then right after that, Jesus turns and prays and thanks the Father and says, I thank God that you've hidden these things from the wise and prudent. And you know what? The wise and prudent were within earshot. Right after that, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him. Very often you'll find in Scripture that these people who asked Jesus these types of questions came after Jesus did something that was not exactly in their favor. He was not patting them on the back. 
He was saying some things that really would make them squirm. So they tried to come back to Jesus with questions like this. And they were asking him, what should I do that I might inherit eternal, eternal life? Now when the, when the word uh, tempting tempted him is in there, it means that they've got another motive for asking him this question in the first place. And he said unto them, what's written in the law? And how do you read that? And he answered, said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy, neighbor, with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Remember now, this guy is trying to really trap Jesus here. And he says, You've answered right, and this do, thou shalt, and this do, and thou shalt live. But he willingly to justify himself said unto Jesus, Well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus goes right into another parable uh, and, and uh, gives him another answer here. So he's, he's constantly, this, this man is just trying to justify himself. He's trying to listen to, or catch Jesus in saying something that's going to be contrary to the law. And uh, that's, that's the kind of question that we, are, that's, that's, uh, we had to be careful about. Now, <clears throat> questions can be innocent. And I want to deal with three types of questions here tonight. And here they are, and then we'll look at all three, okay? So just bear with me here. The first one is what is the Bible refers to as a foolish question. It is something that is trivial. Very often it's innocent and driven out of natural curiosity. Somebody wants to know something. They say that there are no foolish questions. I say there are. <laughs> if you're a teacher, uh, you would know that there are foolish questions. Number two, the second type of question is somebody who really wants to know. They want to know what's right. They want to get it straight. They want to make sure that they understand. Because now they might be faced with some sort of a challenge or some sort of a reversal as to what they always understood. And now they really want to know. The third question is intended to stumble somebody. All right? It is the attempt to elicit from one a remark which can be turned into an accusation against him. Let me go over it again. The first question is a foolish question. It is meant to be innocent. It is trivial. It very often, it is what the Bible refers to as a foolish question. Second one is a question that someone is asking because they're striving to know. They want to know what's right. Three, the, the question that is asked, which it is intended to stumble somebody. Not the person who's asking, but the person who's supposed to be answering. It is a, meant to be a trap. And it can actually be turned into an accusation against somebody. All right, let's look at number one, the foolish question. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Now, it's interesting that the Bible uh, spends so much time on this word question. It, I find it interesting here. Now, remember, the truth is going to set you free. So we want to know, uh, know what is right and what God expects of us. Okay, So let's look at this because uh, we, can say, we can say with a surety that Satan knows how to ask the right question and turn it against you. He did in Genesis 3.1. In our text, he asked Eve a question that causes her to think about what God said in a wrong way and then causes her to act the wrong way based on what God said, right? So she's looking at what God said and Satan's sowing something in here because of the question that he's asked her. Surely, God, surely he doesn't mean that. And, and he's, got her, he's got her doubting what, what God has actually said and then she begins to act on that and of course, you know, the rest is history, Right? So we, we, we want to pay attention to the questions that were asked, and we want to make sure that we know who they come from. All right, let's look in the scripture here, because there's a lot of scripture that's devoted to this. Now, you may not get excited about this, but I get excited about a real 
Bible study. And that's what this is. Everybody got their Bible? All right. Not everybody. All right. First, Second Timothy chapter 2. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, and peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid. Don't stick around. You want to avoid them. Knowing that they do gender strifes. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach and patient. You've got to be careful as a servant of the Lord not to be drawn into an argument because somebody has asked you some sort of a question, uh, which is uh, something maybe that they're using to gender strife. I've often answered people's questions to me when they ask, they say, well, uh, you know, uh, Brother Branham said this and this and this. What do you think that means? And I'll say, well, what do you think it means? Which is a great comeback. Because when a, person, when a person answers that question, they'll generally ser- they'll sermonize that question. They'll preach you a sermon real fast, and uh, then you know, ah, oh, okay, this is what they're trying to do. <laughs> They've been married four times, and they want to do it again. Ah, oh, okay, I got it. The servant of the Lord must not strive. So our, our, our goal is not to out-argue somebody. Our goal is not to out-debate somebody. Hey, I've won a number of debates and found out at the end I was wrong in the first place. So winning the debate only means who's the better debater, and that's not the point. A servant of God does not strive. As a matter of fact, what we're trying to do is, like Paul said here, we want to be gentle unto all men and apt to teach. You want to say to somebody, hey, listen, you know what, this is not my idea, but the Bible does speak about this, let's take a look. And so you come back to Scripture every time, that often helps uh, in a great way. And then, as I told you before, the Scripture that I have found personally more powerful than any other Scripture in terms of conversations and communication with people is a soft answer turneth away wrath. You can try it with your wife, you can try it with your your unruly teenagers, uh, you can try it with anyone who comes against you. I will tell you something that I've found a soft answer is one of my best weapons. When you get up in somebody's grill and you're going, coming back at them and they're coming at you, you're only setting yourself up for real conflict. And whether it's a husband and wife or anybody else, uh, it can be a real conflict. Verse 25, in meekness, instructing. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. For if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledge of the truth. Some people are their own worst enemy. And you don't want to make that worse. You want to instruct them meekly. You want to instruct them meekly, meaning meekly. 26, and they that may recover themselves out of the snare, and and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the trap of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Very often you can turn it around and not answer somebody meekly, but you can bark instructions at them. You can be legalistic at them. Uh, You can get in their face and you can try to overpower somebody and you're not doing anything meekly when you do that. And as a result, sometimes young, uh, young people, wives, husbands, they'll back away and they'll look for another outlet. They'll look for another listening ear. You want to pray that that doesn't happen. So Paul says that when it comes to foolish and unlearned questions, we want to avoid because they do gender strife. Now the Bible says in Proverbs 26, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like him. So here's the reason why Paul would say that. You don't want to engage in in foolish and unlearned questions because you can become like the person who's asking that question. 
And you know what? You don't want to do that. Right? Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. And he that sendeth a message by the hand of a fool cutteth off the feet and drinketh damage. So you don't want to uh, become like that person and arguing back and forth. And he said and they said, you ever argue with a Trinitarian and try to use scripture? Right? And, uh, you know, they'll say, well, you know, who did Jesus pray to in the garden? And, uh, you know, you can come back and say, well, who was Melchizedek? And you can go back and forth. And uh, let, let me tell you, for every scripture that you can throw out, they can throw out another one. Right? And you can go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Not that that's a foolish thing to do, but there are better ways to deal with the, the Godhead than that. So the, the Bible teaches us not to answer a fool according to his folly. In other words, we don't want to engage in the argument like he does. God's given us a revelation of things and an understanding of the scripture that we should employ. Now, let's go a little bit farther. He says in 1 Timothy, Unto Timothy, mine own son in the face, grace, mercy, peace from God our Father and, the Lord, and Jesus Christ our Lord. And I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, but thou, that thou mightest charge some that teach no other doctrine. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith so do. Paul, when he refers to endless genealogies, you remember that a Jew was considered able to hold an office if he was tied back to Father Abraham. And I can go back to one of those 12 tribes. So someone might say, well, uh, you know, I can trace my lineage all the way back to Levi. Or I can trace my lineage all the way back to David. And I can do this. And they, they, were, they were caught up in this idea of going back uh, endlessly in the genealogies and saying, you know what, I'm right because I'm related to David. Uh, he's in my family tree. And so therefore, you can't say anything about me or you can't correct me and so forth. That's what they would hang on to. And in other words, that was their identity was their lineage. The New Testament doesn't teach that. Aren't you glad it doesn't teach that? Because immediately we'd all say, well, my father was a pastor, or my grandfather was a, uh, you know, associate, uh, associate minister or whatever else, or I'm related to Brother Branham. You know, I'm 26 removed, but I'm related to Brother Branham. So, you know what, I'm qualified to preach. That doesn't qualify you to preach. Thank God we don't have that anymore. But this is what Paul is warning Timothy in the first, uh, first epistle to Timothy. He says, uh, I want you to stay at Ephesus when I go down to Macedonia. And he says, charge them to stay with the word and don't fall back into teaching other things like fables and genealogies because it only brings out questions. It only brings out questions that don't edify. So stick with the thing that edifies and that's the word of God. I love this little story. It's not one that's common, but this is when Paul is moving from town to town in his journeys here. And this is the second uh, journey of Paul. And he goes from one town to another. And in that town, uh, he's arrested uh, for sedition. You know, they, they blame him for upsetting the churches in the area. And, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to find cause against him to throw him in jail. They want him to stop preaching. All right? Basically what's happening here. But this man... Gallio, who was a deputy of Achaia, in other words, he was the magistrate in that county, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat. So this guy, Gallio, is in court that day, and everybody unanimously in the town, who are of the scribes and Pharisees, 
They come to Gallio and they say, we want to make a complaint against this guy, Paul, over here, and he's just messing things up, and uh, we want to bring our case against him. 13, saying, this fellow persuadeth men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was now about to open his mouth, Galileo said unto the Jews, hey, hey, cut it. Just stop. He said, if it were a matter of right or wrong or wicked lewdness, O ye Jews, reason that I should bear with you. I'd listen to that, if that's what this is about. But he said, if it be a question of words and names and of, and of your law, look ye to it, for I will be no judge of such matters. I know you guys. You guys will argue, uh, you, you'll argue until the cows come home. And you'll sit here and debate doctrine and debate the law like you do in the marketplace and in the city square. Hey, he said, you know what? If this man has done some crime, bring evidence of the crime here. And if he's not, you guys deal with it. I'm not going to entertain foolish questions and endless genealogies here. This man, in my opinion, according to the law, has done nothing wrong. So therefore, you know what? You're going to have to deal with it. That's what it means by not entertaining uh, the foolish questions and endless gene genealogies. Verse 17, Then all the Greeks took Sothenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat, and Gallio cared for none of these things. You know what? These guys are going to have to beat up somebody because they're in such a rage. And uh, this guy happens to be close, so we'll just grab him and do that because Paul is ushered out, and uh, he goes and stays in Corinth for a year and a half after this and so forth. But these guys are so upset. And you know what Gallio does? He just kind of closes the door on this thing and just lets those guys have their way. It's amazing how people can get so, uh, so bogged down in things that really don't matter. I never want to get bogged down in things that don't matter. All right, here's Paul again now to Timothy. And there's a lot in Timothy and Titus about this here. He said, let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. You know who he's talking about? He's talking about people like you. Let as many employees as are under the yoke count their own bosses Worthy of all honor. You should be careful about how you speak about your boss and how you treat your boss. And some of your bosses here are nodding your heads. I can see that. And they, have believe, and they that have believing masters, if you have a believing boss, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved partakers of the benefit. You know what? If you're working for a believer... You should make sure, extra sure, you don't cheat him. You don't, you don't fudge on your hours and you don't steal uh, supplies out of the shop and, and take them home here. I, I mean, this is, this is a man who God watches over. But you know what? Even if he's not a believer, you should respect him. Because that's what Christians do. Because if you don't do that, if you're, if you're doing something dishonorable, then you know what? The name of God and his doctrine is, can be blasphemed. Someone will say, my goodness, there's nothing to that. There's nothing to that message at all. There are just people who are in a cult or something else. You don't, want, you don't want your employer to say that about you. And so therefore, Paul is telling people, how, telling employees how they, should, how they should act. And if any man teach otherwise... And consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. He is proud, knowing, knowing nothing, 
but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such, you know what you should do? Withdraw yourself. Because I'll guarantee you, arguing with those people is not going to help you very much at all. Not at all. Let's go to the second thing. This is where people really want to know. All right? Second Chronicles chapter 9. This is, I'm going to go quickly here. This is when the Queen of Sheba comes because she's heard of the fame of Solomon. She's got a lot to give, but she's got a lot, a lot, of, a lot of questions. She's got a lot that she wants to know. And she came, the Bible says, to prove Solomon with hard questions. Now, that was not how far exactly is the moon from the earth. She, was, she had, in a sense, riddles. That's what the Hebrew word actually means. She had questions here that she wanted to, that were, that were not obvious questions to ask. Uh, what do we do in, in this particular case? And if you were presented with this kind of a situation, how would you handle that? And these are the kinds of things that she wanted to ask Solomon. She came with a very great company, camels that bore spices and all the rest of it. And... She communed with Solomon of all that was in her heart. And verse 2 says, And Solomon told her all her questions. And there was nothing hid from Solomon which he told her not. So God was not against the Queen of Sheba asking questions. As a matter of fact, God revealed them all to Solomon and told Solomon, Go tell this to the Queen. And the Queen knew, not only did this man have the answer, but he had the question even before she even asked it. So you can, you can see what God was doing. He was impressing this queen here but with, a, with a man with that prophetic gift like Solomon had to be able to ask the question and to be able to give the answer because she'd heard of this fame. So this is somebody who sincerely wants to know. I'm not trying to trap Solomon, but I'm trying to uh, see, is his gift really genuine? Is there, is there a real something real about this man Solomon? Luke chapter 2, and when they found him, Jesus, not, they turned back. This is jo Jesus, uh, sorry, Joseph and Mary. They're coming back from the Passover, and they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing and asking them questions. Jesus is, is sitting there discussing Scripture with all of the learned people of his day. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. So they were, they were really sincerely conversing with Jesus because they really wanted to know, who is this child? I mean, how does he have a knowledge like this? Here's another one. You're familiar with it. John chapter 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man doeth the miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. And Jesus answered him. So the way that this statement is phrased, it is a question to Jesus. If you're from God, how about this and how about this? And he's asking him the questions again and so forth. And then he asks in verse 4, how can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb? He's not trying to trap Jesus here. He really wants to know what Jesus is saying. I want to know because if what you're saying is true, I have responsibility now to deal with that. I got to change. I got to answer this question myself. And it's not just hearing the words. You're challenging the very basis of what I believe and who I am. And so this is somebody who really, really does want to know. John chapter 7. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto him, Why have ye not brought him? 
And the answer said, never a man spake like him. Then answered the Pharisees, are ye also deceived? Pharisees wanted Jesus brought to them. And they asked those that were supposed to get him. They said, why have you not brought him? And the answer said, hey, the, the people who, who were sent to get Jesus, they said, you know what? Nobody speaks like this man. We, we listened to him talk in the marketplace. And it was just extraordinary. And then answered the Pharisees, are you also deceived? Like, are you become disciples too? Watch now who's in the crowd. But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. That's what the Jews said. That's what the, the, the leaders said. Hey, if you don't know the law, you don't practice the law, and you don't preach the law, you're cursed. Verse 50. But Nicodemus, who was in the crowd, same one, he that came to Jesus by night being one of them, he asked the question, Doth our law judge any man before it hear him and know what he doeth? You've already got Jesus judged. And you know what? You have never sat down and talked to him. You've never examined him. And you've never found anything that, that has been uh, accusatory of him. You've never found him to commit a crime. And yet in your own minds, this is what Nicodemus is asking, in your own minds, he's already guilty. He's worthy of death. And he's asking the right question. And they turn around 52 and they answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee riseth no prophet. So they're actually using the scripture to come back to Nicodemus here. But Nicodemus is somebody who's affected by Jesus' answers because he sincerely wants to know what's right. In other words, hey guys, what if, just what if, there's something right about this Jesus? What if uh, he's not guilty and you've got him all already condemned? What if he's asking the right questions here? You understand what I'm saying? Sometimes questions are asked because somebody sincerely wants to know what is truth and what is right. Acts chapter 2, when Peter and all the people who were in the upper room came out into the street, they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? What a great question. Somebody say Amen. What a great question. Because this, the answer to this question is going to be life-changing for everybody who asks it, right? If you want to know what this is, Peter's got an answer. And that answer is going to challenge you now to, to, to uh, become a Christian and to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, the last thing is the negative thing. This is the, this is the bad question. <clears throat> there is lots of material here. Let me just skim it for you. When the Pharisees had heard, Matthew 22, when the Pharisees had heard that he put the Sadducees to silence, they were all gathered together, and one of them, which was a lawyer, asking him a question, tempting him. And that literally means in the Greek language to try somebody maliciously and test one's faith, virtue, character, by enticing them to sin. So I'm framing this question in a way that if he veers away from the law in one point, we've got him. They're really wanting to trap him. They're really wanting him to say the wrong thing so they can accuse him and then have the responsibility taken off their shoulders. Matthew 22 is a whole chapter. You should look at it. It's a whole chapter dedicated to these traps that were laid for Jesus in the form of questions. Watch this one. Matthew 22 again, verse 15. Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. And that word entangle means exactly what it does in the English. They're trying to trip him up. 
They're trying to tangle him and, and have him accuse himself. So then they can say, hey, didn't you say this? And they sent out uh, to him another uh, with, with their disciple, with the Herodians, saying, Master, we know that thou art true and teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for man or for thou regardest the, the person of men. Hypocrites. They're saying those words, but they're really hypocrites because they're trying to entangle him, right? There's, there's a spirit behind the question. You can say things really nicely, but there's a spirit behind the question here. Tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? Now, here's the question that I have trouble with. Because <laughs> we all still had to pay taxes. Wouldn't it be great if Jesus said, hey, don't worry about Caesar. There's enough unbelievers to pay Caesar. You don't need to worry about income tax at all. And all the bride would say, no, you're not supposed to say that, though. See, because Jesus didn't say that. He says, show me the tribute money. Show me the tribute money whose image is on there, and he goes right on and, and tells them, hey, which is an absolutely incredible answer. And he says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render to God the things that are God. It would be nice if Jesus said, no, don't worry about taxes, but he didn't do that, so I can't, I can't promote that concept here. That'll be heaven. Because there won't be any Caesar extracting anything from you in heaven. Mark 22 is all about this. And Jesus' answers are, are perfect. They're just, they're just so inspiring when you, when you read them and take time uh, to go through that chapter there. But again, all of these things are being asked, not because they want to know, but because they want to get out of the responsibility of knowing. They don't, they don't want to have the right answer. We find in Mark chapter 8, same thing. Straightway he entered into a ship with his disciples and came unto the ports of Dalmanutha. And the Pharisees came forth and began to question him, seeking of him a sign from heaven and tempting him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and saith, Why does this generation seek after a sign? Verily I say unto you that there will be no sign that's given, he said, uh, unto this generation, and he left them entering into the ship, departing on the other side. So when it came to questions like this, where they were trying to tempt him, he, in some cases he gave that answer like render under Caesar, and in this case right here, you know what he did? He got in the ship and he took off. He just left them right there. And didn't bother arguing with him. Uh, we find Jesus didn't argue, and we don't find anywhere where Jesus says that you should argue. I said we don't find anywhere in the Bible where Jesus encourages us to argue with unbelievers. Your challenge as a son of God, your challenge in the school of adoption is to learn, why is this person asking this question? I find my strategy in a situation like this is to let that person do more talking than me, and I'm listening very carefully as to why they're asking the question. And I'll, sometimes I'll ask a question, well, you know, uh, why are you asking that? And, uh, you know, where do you, where do you find that from? And, you know, what, what's your, what's your, uh, uh, you know, your uh, program here? What's your idea? And I'll get them to, to explain as much as I can, especially when, I, when we suspicion somebody as to asking a question that's meant to uh, trap you in some way or get you to reverse something that you've said. Hey, ministers go through this all the time. Like I told you before, we have stalkers on the Internet here who listen, and uh, they're, constantly, they're constantly picking at me trying to uh, say, well, this is false and that's false because they don't believe the message. They are. And what they're trying to do is entangle you and, and entice you into an argument. And I find nowhere in the Scripture where we're supposed to do that. But Satan will use those questions and he'll draw you into this endless cycle of debate and it doesn't edify anybody. 
Brother Branham says now, uh, like you women that uh, claim that got the Holy Ghost, he said, going out and wearing shorts and other things, he said, how can the Spirit of God be in you and ever let you do such a thing as that? He said, it just can't be so. He's not a filthy spirit, he's the Holy Spirit. And we're not talking about people who don't have it. We're talking about people who profess to have it, right? That's who he's talking about here. And then when you women become, when you become subject to that spirit, it throws your whole being. When you become subject to that spirit, when you become a subject to that spirit, it throws your whole being subject to that spirit. And that spirit is nothing in the world but this seed word made manifest and quickened, hallelujah, made alive. And when the Bible says, don't do this, the body quickly turns to it, there's no question. For a believer now, our response should be unquestionable. So in other words, we don't come back and say, well, you know, Brother Brandon never said anything about the Internet and we're, uh, we're 50 years up the road and so therefore, uh, you know, I think this is okay and I think that's okay. You better be careful with things that you take and put in your own context. Because I would counter that. Because you say, well, Brother Barry, uh, you, you just said that you should not argue at all and you should not, uh, you know, debate somebody. Well, let's take a look here and I'll leave you with this scripture. We'll stop here in a minute. Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 1, wash ye, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings before mine eyes and cease to do evil. Learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. They shall be red like crimson. They shall be as wool. So the scripture says that there is a benefit to come together and reason. And reason means, in the Hebrew language, it means to correct. It means to rebuke. And rebuke is something that you would say to somebody with the intent of trying to get them to do better and to know the error of their ways, and also to help a person decide what's right. And this is what the Hebrew intent is here, so that when we come together, it's not just arguing, but it is actually the intent to, to teach something. Now, <clears throat> Brother Branham says, makes this, this statement here. Here's an example. He uses that scripture. Now, he said, there's one chance in a thousand that a man will make a prediction that something's going to happen, and it would happen. That can happen, but it's a slim margin. But when if he places, then if he places where it's going to happen, it cuts him down to maybe one out of 10,000. And if he says the day it's going to happen, that cuts it down one chance of maybe a million. And who's, he said, who it's going to happen to, that brings it down, he said, to Billions of chances, one in a billion. But the Bible tells you exactly who, when, where, what to look for, and has never failed one time. Therefore, in a little discussion not long ago with a priest of the Sacred Heart Church up here, he said, Mr. Branham, you're trying to argue the Bible. He said, that's a history of the church. I said, no, it's not a history. It's God himself in print. And he said, but God is in his church. And I said, God's in the word. And anything contrary to it, let it be a lie. Let my word be true and every man's word be a lie. And the priest said, but we're not to argue. Brother Ram said, I never asked you to argue, but the Bible does say, come let us reason together. So you know what? It's okay to discuss. It's never okay to disrespect, but it's okay to discuss things back and forth.
Now, <clears throat> let, me give you, uh, let me give you a little statement here. Brother Branham said, some women not long ago trusted God in California for her baby that died. And the newspapers and magazine packed it across the country. So somebody in California, was, uh, a woman was prayed for, and her baby died. And uh, the, she, she reported that and went on the newspapers and so forth. I will tell you, this just recently happened in Canada. And uh, there was a church there that was, uh, there was a whole news organization came in and did an expose on this message church uh, because they were making certain claims and so forth. Just parts of the message. But the media jumped on it and capitalized on this one little thing that they took out of context. And it was on national TV in Canada. I know the minister. I know the church. And the same time where one didn't have faith for deliverance, everybody criticized that, all the magazines and papers, and God healed thousands and he said, you'd had to put that in the paper. So one person, he says, doesn't, uh, their baby is not healed. And it's put in magazines and papers across the country. Thousands are healed. And he says, they're not even going to touch it. The Bible says, though, come let us reason together. And the same time that picture was being packed across the country, telling that people that divine healing can't be trusted and everything like that, the doctor lost 10,000 times thousands of cases and nothing said about that. People who die in hospitals, nothing is said. And let me tell you, if one person being lost by divine healing with not enough faith to recover, and it's all branded as fanaticism, then if the doctor loses one case, let's brand that as fanaticism. You understand what he's saying? Sauce for the goose is good for the gander. If we can apply one way, we can apply it another way. But friends, what medical science and ministers ought to do is get together and cooperate, knowing we're all working for the good of the people and the glory of God. He said, that's what we ought to do. We ought to come together and reason together. Instead of fighting one another, he said, let's rather do pull this together and be able to reason it out together and say, you know what? Uh, divine healing helps some people. Chiropractors help some people. Surgeons help some people over here. And he said, rather than fighting everybody, uh, you know, in their, in their different professions, he said, be better for us to try to pull together, put our energy and our resources together and see what God does for the good of the people. Because after all, that's the intent, is the good of the people. And Brother Bam's, Brother Bam's using that example of, uh, you know, he's willing to sit down and discuss this. Willing to sit down and, underst and, and, and understand another man's point of view and willing to work together because, you know what, that's the whole point. Last thing I'm going to say, musicians, if you want to slip up here, Brother Bam says, now every word that God said has your, has, has your spirit said amen to it. It's been fulfilled in your life as a believer. Everything that God said has your spirit said amen to it and it's been fulfilled in your life as a believer. He said, do you hold back on something and say, well, my church uh, you know, teaches different. He said, then be careful, hawk. Eagles believe. There's no question to them. They believe it. Eagles believe. Now when something is presented and somebody has a question, they can be like Nicodemus and come to Jesus, come to the right source and say, I really want to know. Is that what you're saying? A man should be born again. Does he go back in the mother's womb again? And he's trying to understand that. That's not a problem. That kind of a question is not a problem. Understand me, that kind of a question is not a problem. But when people say, no, we don't, our, our church doesn't teach that way, and they throw the whole thing out, they throw the baby out with the bathwater, you know what? It's hard for God to reach people like that. It's hard for God to get through. 
It's hard for God to bless people like that when they take what is obviously vindicated as truth and throw it back in his face here. You know what they eventually did? They locked Jesus out of the church and he's outside knocking and can't get in. God must go like this a lot. In Laodicea, God must go like this a lot. But you know what I believe tonight? You may not think so. But I believe tonight when God looks at an assembly like this, just a handful of people and we're here, you know, following the scripture and uh, listening and so forth. He finds people that sit there and they believe it. They believe it not because they, not because they always understand or not because they can always figure it out. Not because it's necessarily easy. But they believe it because God said so. They've proven God. They trust God. They love God. And no matter what he says, I want that word to become my will. I, I, want, I want to do it the way he teaches me. I, I, I want to come to the end of my road and have him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Not that you are perfect or you got everything perfect in life. You know what? Uh, you're, you're a person who knew the word and responded the right way. That's what God's after. God's not after you for you to be rich and wealthy and successful in business or whatever else. God's not after that. God's just looking for an obedient heart, a willing spirit that he can deal with. That's what God's after. Somebody who doesn't take like Satan in the Garden of Eden and say, well, surely God doesn't mean that and had a whole program behind that question. We had to be careful about questions. We had to be careful about discernment trying to figure out what it is that's being asked here. And when you find that somebody's asking something contrary, you want to avoid that. Make a wide circle around that. Carve upon my heart the truth that sets me Open 
saying to you tonight that our desire, Lord, is to do your will whatever you, wherever you send us or whatever you would have us to do. Lord, we know whenever you send us, whenever you commission us, it's always something according to your word. 
Lord, may we have that willing heart. We want to say tonight, Lord, we love you and thank you for the understanding you've given to us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you've given us an absolute. Because when we have an absolute, there is no debate. There is no argument. There is no consideration of other things. Lord Jesus, you've made your absolute so clear. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you sent a prophet in this last day with a message, Lord, that takes away any ambiguity, anything unclear, and, Lord, makes it so real to us. We pray now you would have your way, Lord, in our hearts. And, Father, bless the balance of the week, Lord, for these people that are gathered here today. We love you, Lord Jesus, with all of our heart, and we thank you, Lord, because you have made your word so real, so powerful to us. Lord Jesus, lead us and guide us perfect will we ask. Lord, there are some that are sick tonight, some that are hurting. We commit them to you. Pray that you would minister, Lord, to those that are invisible to us, Lord, but listening online, we commit them into your care. Have your way now, we pray. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen and amen. Remember Mitchell, Megan this weekend, and uh, Buchanan family. Some I know some of you are going uh, out to the wedding and uh, just pray for them if you don't mind. May God bless you tonight as you go. Let's sing it as we leave tonight. Shake hands with one another. I'll say yes, Lord.